this morning, we are going to be in our, our next week of this series. We're right at the middle of the series today, actually. Our series, as you know, is titled Devoted, Finding Joy in Spiritual Disciplines. And this morning, the sixth discipline we'll look at, we're right at the middle point. We have just as many sermons left as we've already completed. And so as we go into today, what we're going to be talking about is the discipline of careful stewardship. Careful stewardship. Now, I, I had to think and pray a lot about this message because talking about this topic, it's obvious to me there are a lot of different applications that we can make. This concept is going to touch really on the vast majority of what's going on in our lives. There's a lot of applications here regarding how you and I should live as good and careful stewards. But before we can work through some of these application points, we, we need to define what stewardship is and we need to Confirm that we are indeed called to the Christian life. My date's wrong, if any of you are talking about that. It's the seventh today. I, I got that wrong. This is what a steward is. The steward is someone who manages something on behalf of another. A steward is someone who manages something on behalf of another. Now, we don't tend to use this word very often. Uh, it's in our culture today. Perhaps you, you really haven't even thought about a steward outside of uh, that word being mentioned in church or maybe in books you're reading. Maybe like if you've read the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it talks about the steward of Gondor, Denethor. You might be thinking, okay, this is kind of an older idea, but, but what is a steward? Well, a steward is simply someone who manages something on behalf of another. And so that concept, even if the word isn't always used in our mind, to say is very clear. You understand what a steward is. The question really is not how do we define this word. The question is how should we see stewardship in regard to our own lives and as Christian believers today? Well, in the New Testament, this word is actually used in several places to refer to Christians directly. We are called stewards in the Scripture. One clear place is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We read this very short, succinct statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he reminds us, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So Paul very plainly says, you and I, we should be seen and we should thus see ourselves as servants and stewards of Christ. And if we're stewards, and the Bible makes clear as Christians we are, then we need to be faithful stewards. A good steward is not one who lives for his own glory, for his own success, or for his own recognition. He's living for his master, for the one whom he is serving. You and I, as Christians, we're called to be stewards. And by that, God means we need to live our lives taking care to manage what God has entrusted to us. The things that the king has given to us are to be handled in a way that bring glory and honor to him so that we are serving God, representing him as we function in our lives as stewards. And so I want us to focus on a few different ways to understand stewardship today and this call and how it impacts our life. We could talk about so many different things, but for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to limit the scope to just three things, three things that we are called to be stewards of as Christians. The first is this, we are called to be careful stewards of our time. We are called to be careful stewards of our time. A verse that I've, I've often cited 
for us in various sermon series has been Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, where we're told by the apostle, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. This same idea is expanded over in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, where Paul writes a little longer sentence, says, hey, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. An author that I was reading uh, just this week had referred to a sermon that Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian who lived from 1703 to 1758, a sermon he had preached during the, the time of the first great awakening here in America. And so I saw this reference in the book that I was reading, and, and I knew just to the right of me on my shelf were the collected works of Jonathan Edwards, and I pulled down volume two, and sure enough, I had a copy of the sermon in there. And so I opened it up, and I read this sermon that Jonathan Edwards Uh, had preached titled, The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It, dated December 1734. As Edwards looked at this very same text that I was considering for today, he begins to unpack how important it is for Christians to steward their time well and to do that by seeing time, the time that you and I have, as a precious gift from God. And so as I'm reading Edwards and I'm looking at my own notes and my own outlines of what I'm planning to talk about, I'm seeing, wow, Edwards is hitting on these same reasons and these same truths that, that I am thinking about and talking about with my church. And so Edward points out this. He says, time should be seen as a precious gift entrusted to us by looking at what the Bible tells us about time. And he walks through some considerations. The first point that Edwards makes is that the Bible makes plain time is short. Time is short. Again, if I, if I draw us back to the Bible reading plan that, that we have given out that I know many of you are working on, if you have been reading in Job back a, a few days before, kind of the earliest part of Job, you, you found a clear confession that Job made understanding this truth. In Job chapter 7, verse 7, Job says, I remember that my life is only a breath. He makes this, this realization that, that his life, it's, it's, while it seems everything to us in the grand scheme of things, if you step back for just a moment, it's really just like a breath compared to the grand scope of history. This isn't just an Old Testament idea. You go over to the New Testament, to the book of James. You hear this truth unpacked and applied to Christians very directly. In James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Come now, James writes, You who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You and I, we often live our lives so unaware of the shortness of the time of our lives. Partly because, if we're honest, days can seem to drag on forever. There are weeks that we feel like will just never end. There are certain seasons that some of us are in with maybe kids that are difficult to raise, where work is really hard right now, where relationships are really complicated and challenging, and we feel like these things might last forever as we're trying to look forward to the future, as we're in the middle of experiencing them. But when we look back, most of us are shocked by how fast not just the days and the weeks have gone by, but the years have gone by. All of us think a decade sounds like a really long time as we look ahead, but when you look back, it's amazing how fast that time really has gone. And so the Bible uses a lot of powerful imagery to tell us that we should understand the whole length of our lives, not just the days or the weeks, but the whole length of our lives is really like a mist 
in the scope of history. It's like the dew of the morning that's there, but then fades away by noontime. Our lives, you and me, no matter how long we live, how many years we're given on this earth, really, it's truly a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. But most of us fail to realize this as often and as deeply as we should. The second thing I would point out about time is not just that it's short, but time, the time we have in this life is also uncertain. Again, if we go back to the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, we can read of things that bring this truth out very clearly. Proverbs 27.1 tells us, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. After living through 2020, I think we can all agree, we do not know what a future day may bring. Nobody saw coming all the things that happened last year. And again, if we go back to James, there in chapter 4, verse 13, he gave us that same warning. Hey, don't presume about the days ahead of you. You do not know what tomorrow holds. But he pushes us in verse 15 to rely and trust upon God, right? James chapter 4, verse 15, he says, instead of saying, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm assuming I have all this time. No, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We should be honest. We should realize our time upon this earth is short. It is passing quickly, and none of us knows for sure what it holds. It's uncertain to us. And we should also understand that time, once it is passed, time cannot be regained. We often talk about time as if it could be, right? We talk about saving time. We talk about making up time. Those are simply illusions, as Edwards notes. Once time is gone, it's gone. You can spend all the money that you have and earn more to replace it, but not time. Once it's spent, once it's gone, it cannot be recovered. You can't add a day back. You can't change time once it's used up. You can't recover how you spent time in the past. Knowing all of these type of truths was part of what had caused Jonathan Edwards before this point in his life to, to resolve that he would live in a very intentional and powerful way. He famously wrote a series of resolutions, things he wanted to mark and guide his life, how he would live and the things he would do. And at least 13 of those 70 resolutions have to do directly with how he intended to steward his time in his life. Edwards would write these things down and read through them regularly. And one of them, like number seven, he says, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid or ashamed to do if it were the last hour of my life. Edwards wanted to live in a way that he would feel comfortable and confident that what he was doing at that moment, should this be the end, should he die right there and go to stand before the throne of God, that he would feel proud of what he had set himself to do. Not ashamed, not afraid that God would say, really, that's how you're stewarding that time that I had given you. But the reality of the shortness of Time before our lives end, and the reality that time itself, the time you and I have upon this earth, is a gift from God himself, connects us back to this idea of stewardship, right? It should motivate us to use time well because it's not ours. It's been given to us by another. And hear me clearly. Pastoral, I want you to, to understand what I'm, when I'm saying all this. I'm telling you the reality of time. I understand that for some of us it can feel it can feel really scary and kind of overwhelming. And I want you to understand we ought to be motivated by these truths, not paralyzed by them. That's not what God wants for you when you think about this. Some of us are tempted that way. We can become overwhelmed by the shortness of our lives when we really pause to dwell upon it. The uncertainty can make us feel very uneasy. Or perhaps you are struggling with the guilt of realizing that you have wasted time that can never be 
recovered. Look, the enemy is the one who's using these truths to produce anxiety and fear. And he wants you to be paralyzed. He wants you to be idle. He wants you to stop where you are and just live in guilt and shame. That's not what God wants for you. That's not what God wants for you. He does not intend for us in grasping these truths to be paralyzed. He intends for us instead to be sober-minded, to know the reality that our days are numbered, that our time is short, it is uncertain, the gift is very, very precious, but to remind ourselves that our days, they're numbered by God, and they're in His hands. Those days, while uncertain to us, are not uncertain to Him. He knows what lies ahead. He's always in control and he's always with us in every moment of every day of our lives. It's his power, it's his might that gives us the breath that we are breathing now, the strength that we need, the ability to steward well what he has entrusted to you. These things should motivate you to reflect upon how you are using your time, to plan and to change whatever needs to be changed to steward your time better for the future, but it's designed to motivate you to live in wisdom. That's what James says, right? To rely upon the Lord and his will, he tells us that we would learn how to trust in God, looking for his will as we go about living our lives. He doesn't say, don't, don't think about what to do, just sit back and do nothing. No, he says, as you make your plan, say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. Look to God and follow his leading. Psalm 90 12 gives us this clear picture of what God wants for you as you think about time rightly. Psalm 90, 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We are to be motivated to live wisely, to glorify God in what we do, not to sit back idly or fearfully or shamefully, but to live wisely. So going back to Ephesians 5, we're not told let fear govern us or paralyze us, but rather let it motivate us so that we are walking wisely, making the best use of our time. That's Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, right? Look carefully then at how you walk. He doesn't say look carefully at how you sit and wait, at how you walk, how you live as not unwise, but wise and make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So let me give an explanation of application here. This morning, we started our Sunday schedule 30 minutes earlier than normal, right? We had coffee and conversation at 9, Sunday school classes started at 9.30, and this worship service began at 10.30. This idea to move up to an earlier start time is a matter, for me, of stewardship. When the idea was brought up to me by members of the congregation, that was after COVID, the, the first thing coming back to physical gatherings that people were asking was, hey, we considered adjusting the schedule. This wasn't something on, on my to-do list that I really wanted to see this occur. This was a, a question raised, and many people kind of brought this sentiment out. And so what I immediately began to think through was how this would affect stewardship. Because I have no desire to make change just for the sake of change. But I want to make changes. I'm very eager to make changes that help us be better stewards across the board. In anything that I'm doing, I want, if we're going to make a change, it needs to be so that we are being a better steward of whatever that may be. Time, resources, money, whatever it is, we want to be good stewards. And so I thought, how would this factor into stewardship? So what I came to realize, talking with several families in the church, getting lots of feedback as we did the surveys and conversations and all this stuff, if we started 30 minutes earlier, it meant for a lot of families, there would be a little bit less idle time in the mornings. Because the reality is all of you in this room are used to being up and starting your day much earlier than you have to on a Sunday, right? Between work or school or sports, you are up and at 
things throughout the week much, much sooner than you had to be on a Sunday, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But what it led to was many parents, especially parents of young kids like mine, saying, hey, you know, my kids don't sleep in until the last moment, typically, on Sunday. Like, as much as we want that calm, nice Sunday morning, they keep getting up. <laughs> so what it leads to is we get ready, and, we're, and then there's some sitting around, some idleness in the house. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of families were saying, yeah, you know, we could get here earlier. Uh, we just don't because nobody's here. So rather than spending so much time wasted, we, we determined that if we started just 30 minutes earlier, it meant replace a little bit of waiting time with a little bit of worshiping God time. And that's a good trade. To come together in here meant we could have those conversations with other believers half an hour before we normally would. We could spend that time uh, in learning his word through Sunday school. We could then come in here and hear him speak in our Sunday services, and we could replace waiting with worshiping, and that's good Stewardship. So the most important aspect of this change was directly tied to the stewardship of this service itself. Jonathan Edwards preached to his people the importance of making the most of the Lord's Day too. In that very sermon that I referenced at the end of it, he's making application on ways for us to better steward our time. And he says regarding Sundays, regarding the Lord's Day, such time is of great advantage for our everlasting welfare. Therefore, above all, Improve your Sundays, and especially the time of public worship, which is the most precious part. Lose it not, either in sleep or in carelessness, inattention or wandering imaginations. So we decided to move our start times up by 30 minutes, and then to plan for this service that we're in right now to have a little extra time in it as well, to go about 15 minutes more than it used to. Starting today, right after this sermon, we're going to have a dedicated time of response in the service. Just a few moments where I've been praying all week long as we're heading into this that the Lord is going to move on you to apply what you are hearing today and what we're talking about and thinking about. Push it deep down into your heart so that you would hear the words he is speaking today. We will have at the end of the services going forward from here a chance for you to always take a few moments to pray. The altars are going to be open to anyone who wants to come to the altars and pray here. I will be available to you if you want me to pray with you about something else. Those around you would love to come and pray with you if you would ask them to. During this time of response, Wendy and our team will come. They'll lead a song. So regardless of if you feel the pull to, to step out and come to the altar to pray for something specific or, or you want to stay where you are and reflect and even lift your voice and sing, you'll have this intentional time before we leave this room, before all the task lists, all the things we have to do, before life hits us again, we'll have a few moments at the end of every service to respond to the Lord through at least singing his praises and praying and reflecting upon his truths. And then when we're done, here's the the last part of better stewardship in my mind. When we're done in here, it's still going to be before we normally got out, like last week, right? So it's still going to be before 12 o'clock noon. And so what I'm going to challenge you to do is instead of going, hey, we're, we're out uh, a few minutes earlier, great, I'm getting home and getting lunch on the stove. You're already used to eating the time that you've eaten on Sundays, right? How many of you have had this schedule for, for as many years as you can remember? You're going to be fine if you don't move lunch out, all right? <laughs> So instead of saying, you know what, hey, good stewardship for me is I get to go home and make more, more time at lunch. No, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you spend a few minutes, just minutes, with your brothers and sisters here. Talk to somebody. 
Encourage somebody. Share a prayer need. Check in on something you've been praying about for them. Before you leave this place, you will have the opportunity to respond to God and then to engage with other believers. Believers that if you're a member of this church, you've made a covenant to care for and invest in. Here's a chance for you to steward that responsibility well and do that every single week. All of this is designed to help us be better stewards of our time, especially of this chance to gather together in corporate worship like we have right here. I've been saying this for months now, but I need to say it again. We have a great gift in this freedom to gather openly the way we are right now. Many, many brothers and sisters around the world, even in parts of the world that we would consider free parts of the world, are not able to do what we're doing. And so as long as we have this gift, as long as we're able to come together, as long as we're able to pray and praise God like this openly and publicly, we need to take advantage of it. It's a gift that we've been given to steward well. And you have many other ways to improve your time outside of just Sunday mornings too. That's what this whole series about uh, spiritual disciplines is really focused on helping you do, right? Talking about how you can be intentional to read the scriptures, to press into prayer, to be intentional in remembering what God has done and what he has said, to live a life daily of true worship and to actively engage in evangelism, both personally and globally. All of these spiritual disciplines that we've talked about in the last several weeks, they're ways for you to steward your time day by day well. They're things that you can do that are pleasing to God who has given you the time that you have in your life as a gift. Which leads to the second idea of focus this morning. In terms of stewardship, we need to steward our time well, but we also need to be careful stewards of our resources. If we go back to Ephesians there, in verse 16, the Apostle Paul tells us, the days are evil. It's a warning that's given to us all throughout Scripture. And this assessment of the days and ages in which Christians live is not confined to just the small range of time where the apostles were writing these letters. This is true of the entire age from when Paul wrote until this very moment. You and I, we are living in an evil age. And I don't say that because I'm pessimistic or because the election put evil people into power in our country. I'm not claiming even that things can be the worst that we could possibly imagine. I want us to to be clear. We're not living in neutral time, and we never have been. Many of us have simply failed to realize it or feel it as deeply as we should. This is the great fault in our day and age, particularly deadly here in American culture. We think and so we act like our lives are to be lived out of peacetime, rather than wartime. And there's a vast difference between how resources are used in wartime mindset versus peacetime mindsets. Thinking about how different resources are used in different ways in times of war versus peace, there's a really compelling historical example to me, and it has to do with the time of World War II and the luxury ocean liner, the Queen Mary. Queen Mary was a massive ship, much bigger than the Titanic was. The Queen Mary was... A a ship built for peace, but repurposed for use in war. This massive ship, in times of peace, would hold 3,000 rich, important, high-class people in it. But in wartime, the ship was reconfigured. Bunks were put up everywhere they could be, and the capacity went from 3,000 rich people sitting and sailing in luxury to holding over 15,000 troops to go to war. The beautiful dining rooms that were in this would seat people for these incredible, relaxed, multi-course meals using beautiful fine china 
And all of that was transformed into these massive mess halls to serve thousands of troops' meals. In luxury, there'd be 15 plates and saucers used for a single meal with the rich there. They were all removed and replaced with one single tin tray, and soldiers had to even bring their own utensils when they came to eat. Whereas a beautiful luncheon and a formal dinner would have been served in times of luxury and wartime, meals were served constantly in the mess hall on a very tight schedule basis to rotate all the soldiers in and out so that over 30,000 meals a day could be prepared and consumed by these soldiers. The great ballroom in the ship where the best music would have been played and the grandest dancing would have occurred in luxury in wartime were transformed into hospitals where thousands of troops would be treated for injuries on board the Queen Mary as they headed to hospitals on land around the world. This great ship that was designed for luxury, it was designed to sail in pure relaxation to enjoy the most beautiful sights and linger in the most wonderful ports around the world. Over the course of just five years, from 1940 to 1945, the Queen Mary traveled the equivalent of 38 journeys around the world in terms of mileage. And this luxury ship ended up transporting over 1,250,000 troops to various places for combat. There's a vast difference between how a resource is used in wartime versus peacetime. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood here because what I'm not saying is that we should not enjoy good things in this life. Right? I'm not telling you to go get rid of all of your dishes and replace them with one simple tin tray. Okay? We can glorify God by enjoying the many, many good blessings that he has given us. When we do that with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts, right? When we have a good blessing, when we have something good to enjoy, if we, if we are intentional to roll our hearts up beyond the gift to the giver, then we can enjoy those things well. We can use our time and resources well. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. It means that as we're enjoying them, we're using them to help us focus on the God who's given them to us, that we have an awareness, a gratitude toward the giver. Recreation is a gift that we should use and we should enjoy intentionally, but the real issue is just that. We often are consuming things in our lives without gratitude and without any intentionality. The real issue is that we often see life, at least subconsciously, and all the things that we can do in our life as a right, not a gift. The heart posture in whatever we are doing is the most important element. So it's not necessarily wrong to go sail on the Queen Mary, or to go see the Queen Mary today, where it is a floating hotel off the coast of California. To go visit that and to enjoy all the nice things that it would offer would not necessarily be wrong. What would make it right or wrong depends entirely upon your heart. Are you living with gratitude? Are you living with a focus on the Lord? Are you enjoying his good gift, knowing it's a good gift he's given you? Are you stewarding the time well? Or are you living as if you deserve this? Are you living, as most people in our country do, as careless consumers? We are not free to be unintentional or to live as a careless consumer. We are called to be stewards, and the seriousness of stewardship demands more of us. Because we need to remember, we are only stewards of all that we have. Every material possession that you have, the wealth that you've accumulated, the home or property that has your name on the title right now, it's all a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 5.19 tells us, Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his law and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. Perhaps more clearly, the reality that God has given you everything that you have comes from the great prayer of David in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 to 12. Yours, O Lord, 
is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Everything you have, friends, comes from God. You are but a steward of it. Every, every bit of your resources, from money to possessions, even your skills and your positions in life, all of it comes from God. He's the rightful owner of everything, the king over all things, and we are called to steward the things he has entrusted to us well. So again, let's make application here. Stewardship necessitates using the resources that we are entrusted with in the way that the rightful owner wants us to. In terms of finances, God makes it very clear that ultimately he owns it all. Not our government, not you and I, despite whose name is on the bank account. God owns all the money in the world. Haggai 2.8, God says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And because God owns it all, every bit of the finances that we claim to be ours are really coming to us from Jesus. And he makes it very clear that God is not disinterested and he's certainly not blind to what we are doing with the money that we have been entrusted with. Jesus talks an awful lot about money in very striking ways. And in one of the places, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 13, he says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the worldly wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Understand, money itself is not evil. It's a gift from God. It's all ultimately his, right? The silver, the gold, they belong to him, and he doesn't own evil things. It's all... From him, but it, what Jesus drives at is not whether or not we have a lot of money or not. What he drives at is what we're pursuing. If we're pursuing money above serving God, then we're not stewarding well the resources he's given us. If we're living our lives focused on that fleeting and ever-changing bottom line on our bank account, we're not going to be faithful stewards to God. Money, like so many other things, is very dangerous to us when we do not view it rightly and we do not use it worshipfully. It's not just reckless spending that God is displeased with. It's just as sinful to be hoarding too. To never use the money that God has given us to accomplish the purposes that he intends is every bit as disobedient as if we went out and spent it on something for ourselves. So we need to take great care and with very worshipful hearts approach the stewardship of our financial resources. Understand, every Christian is called to do this. Every Christian is called to give to the Lord, to, to participate in, in giving tithes and offerings and supporting missions and ministry works, being benevolent and blessing others. Those things are not optional to some Christians, but others are free from them. No, all of us are entrusted with resources, whether they're great or they're small, and we're called to steward them to the glory of God. It's not our money to do with as we want. It's God's money given to us to steward faithfully. So we need to use his money as he desires. So some of us may have more. Some of us may have less. However the Lord has provided for us, whatever he's entrusted to us as these resources, we should give and steward of those things. Now we can and we need to talk a lot about this because it's a very big topic. Jesus talks a lot about money in the New Testament, 
Because money is a very powerful application point. Jesus would tell us, if you are not faithful with the money God has entrusted to you, it's almost a certain guarantee you're not being a faithful steward with the other things God has entrusted to you either. The other physical resources, the time that you've been given, if you're not faithful with this, money has a way of revealing our hearts in a very powerful way. In a way that almost nothing else really can. So let me conclude with the last area as we move to respond. The last thing you and I need to be careful stewards of in our lives is we need to be careful stewards of the gospel. It's not just about our time. It's not just about our resources. It's about what we're doing with this great message that you and I have received, this great gift that we've been given of faith in Jesus Christ. In a book that I was reading recently in the evenings, just for my own study, my own edification, I was reading from the Puritan Richard Baxter. He shared this thought that I found to be very convicting and really insightful, and making this apply to every one of us, hear this thought. I think necessity should be the great disposer of a Christian's time and labor. If we were sufficient for everything, we might attempt everything. But life is short. We are dull. Eternal things are necessary, and the souls that are around us for, for us to engage are very precious. Necessity, he, he defines as be, doing what is necessary, doing what is right, being faithful with whatever the one who has given us all things gives us, that's time or money or possessions or skills or relationships, whatever it may be, doing what God desires with those things is how you and I can live as careful stewards. And the reason we ought to do this work is because it's, it's worship. The reason we ought to steward well what God has given us is because it's worshipful to him. He's the owner, and when we disregard what he has given us to do something with, we're sinful and we're rebellious. And so Baxter's plea is that all of us, we should think, Soberly, and I find it convicting when he says, life is short, we are dull, eternal things are necessary. But it's the final words there that stir my affections most deeply. He says, and the souls that are around us for us to engage are very precious. Your soul is precious. And the weight on me to communicate these truths to you is something I deeply feel I pray that God will open your eyes, that he will turn your hearts, that he will rearrange your affections on these things so that you will see what he desires of you and you will live in a way that worshipfully glorifies him, that you would honor him in all of your life, stewarding how you spend your time, stewarding well how you spend the resources he's given you, and most of all, how you're living in response to the gospel. Because this is perhaps the most important thing you and I, we have to steward. The message that the king of all things came down for us, gave his life for us. The message of the great exchange that he takes all of our sins upon himself and gives us all of his perfections. The message that you and I, no matter how poor of a job we've done stewarding this life thus far, can find grace and mercy when we turn to Jesus Christ and we look to his cross. No matter how much time you've wasted, no matter how many resources you have squandered, no matter how marred your life may be by the sins that are there, if you repent and you place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, his grace covers all of those mistakes, and today can be a new day. So as a steward, my job is not to point to me, not to point to an organization, is to point you to the master. He alone deserves the honor and the glory, and he alone can forgive and change hearts. And so I'm going to invite us all today to come to Jesus, to not be unmoved, to not harden our hearts and think, you know what, I'm going to do what I want because it's, it's my name on the line to act as, as a usurper rather than a steward. No, I, I pray that all of us would come to Jesus who knows our weaknesses, who knows our sins, who invites us now to apply stewardship 
by using this time, this gift of these moments he's given us right here and now to respond to him. As Wendy comes to lead us in this time of response, Christians, I'll challenge you, evaluate your life. Are you a good steward of your time and your resources and of the gospel message? Are you able to stand before God? If this was it, if you were headed to heaven right now to stand before the throne of God Almighty and all the details of how you spend your days, would you be able to say that you're aiming to honor him in that? If all of your finances were opened up and laid bare, would it demonstrate gratitude for his gifts and good investments in his kingdom? Will you be able to say that the greatest gift that you received, the message of the gospel itself, was something that you actively and intentionally shared with others? Or did you hold it back as if it was just for you? The altars are open. I'm available to you if you'd like to pray together. But let's make the most of these moments and steward well this time of responding to the Lord as we sing. And I will close us in prayer in just a moment. Let's worship. Father, we thank you. You've given us so, so much. The time we have in our lives, this moment right now is a gift from you for us to steward. And so, Lord, I I thank you that you have so kindly given to us. I pray that every heart in this room, Lord, as as you are working on us, as you're pushing these thoughts deep into our souls, that, that in these moments, Lord, we would resolve to steward well the gifts you've given us to steward well the time that our life is, to steward well the resources that you've entrusted with us, everything from our finances to our home to our vehicles to the food in our pantries, Lord, that all of it we would lay down before you and we would say, Lord, how do you want me to use what you have given me? Lord, you've given us a great, great privilege of relationship with you. You've given us the best news there ever could be that that as we come to you with, with everything that truly is ours, our brokenness, our sin, our mistakes, as we give those to you, you take them and give us forgiveness and grace and mercy. What an exchange. And so, Lord, as we're here, as our hearts are humbled, as our minds are reflecting upon what you have said to us, I pray, Lord, that our affections would be stirred in the deepest and most sincere ways. That we would resolve to do everything, to live every moment of our lives, not wasting them, but improving them in every way possible. That we would stand before your throne by your grace, by the strength you've given us, and we would see and hear you say, well done, good and faithful steward. We thank you for this great gift. We thank you for these ways of coming together into your presence, of worshiping you. And we pray, Lord, that you would go with us and make these moments apply to tomorrow and apply to the days after. That you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say and all that we are because it's you that we worship. In your beautiful name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.